We're in the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians is about halfway through the New Testament, which is about the last third of the Bible. So halfway through the last third of the Bible. And you'll find the little four-chapter book of Colossians. And it's not a book, it's a letter. And it's a letter from the Apostle Paul to a church in the first century in the city of Colossae. And it was about the fact that this little church was being inundated and being attacked by philosophies and uh, beliefs and statements that sounded true but were really false. And so today's series, or this series, is called Fake News for that very reason. Today's message is titled, It's All About Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I want us to say that uh, message title all together on the count of three. One, two, three. It's all about Jesus. You know, uh, one of the complaints that I get about Waters Church from people who don't believe in Jesus <laughs> is that I talk too much about Jesus. <laughs> I kid you not. <laughs> you know, they like everything, but what is up with all the Jesus talk? And I was thinking about that, and I thought, two thoughts. Number one, if there's a complaint that I would love to have about our church... <laughs> Let it be that we talk too much about Jesus. <laughs> but on a more serious note, I had this thought. How far removed from the call of the body of Christ has the Christian church become? To the point where non-believers coming to a Christian church would be shocked that we talk too much about Jesus. <laughs> We have no other message. <laughs> we have no other leader. We have no other king. We have no other God. We talk about that first century rabbi who walked the earth and told us the way. He was the way, the truth, and the life. And then he predicted and pulled off his own death burial and resurrection and then he ascended to the right hand side of God the Father I'm listening to that guy that's our message it's all about Jesus now I've also got a little subtitle there to give you a preview of coming attractions in this message firm foundation full lives formed for mission forgiven and free I squeezed six F words into that sentence and today we're going to unpack that. So Colossians chapter 2. And when we get into this passage, this is the, um, the pinnacle of the theology that Paul presents to the Colossians. And we're about to get into the practical reality of that. So lots of theology, as usual with Paul's letters, lots of theology up front and then practical living it out on the back end. And so we're in the kind of like the pinnacle, the mountaintop moment, if you will. Stand with me, though, because we're going to read the theme verse. I'm not going to read all the verses uh, in the beginning because we're going to cover all the verses in the message. So I'm going to just read the theme verse of Colossians. It's the theme verse of our series. It's not on the screen, um, but you should be very familiar with it by now if you've been with us for the series. If not, that's okay. I'll read it clearly for you to hear. Colossians 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. That's the theme of our series, the theme of this book. Let's pray and ask God to speak together. 
speak to us. Father, I ask in Jesus' name for these next few moments to be saturated with your presence. May the words that come out of my mouth be what you want them to be. Keep me from saying anything that you don't want said. May the word of God fall like good seed into the soils of good hearts. May it take root below and bear fruit above to the glory of your name. And may we see Jesus and him only. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. All right. The Colossian church in the first century was under attack. They were under attack by people and ideas and philosophies. Ideas have consequences. Philosophies have consequences. What you believe can shape who you are, what you do. It can lead you down a pathway that you may inevitably regret. Ideas have consequences. And I wonder today if there's people here today and there's ideas in your head that are working to get you away from Jesus. The first century church of Colossae was under attack to be pulled away from Jesus. To be pulled away from Jesus. You have to understand something. That before you came to Jesus, the enemy was trying to keep you from Jesus. And when you came to Jesus, you got to know something. The enemy shifted into high gear to try to take you away from Jesus. Are you aware that you are in the middle of a spiritual battle? It's not all physical, friend. It's not always about the amount of money in your bank account, who likes you, who doesn't like you, what friend betrayed you, and all that kind of stuff. Do you understand there is a spiritual world all around you waging war? The Bible says, Paul says, that we fight not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual powers of forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms. We are at war as Christians, and we are at war for our souls, that we stand strong for what we believe, and we don't get sidelined by these ideas that there's something more to be had beyond Jesus. No, friend, it's all about Jesus. All about Jesus. And Paul is trying to convince the Colossians to not be misled. And there were two arguments being presented. There were two arguments being presented. And I have them listed for you. I call them the two extremes. Um, the two extremes that come against sound Christian faith. Two extremes. The first one is mysticism. And mysticism is alive and well in the world today. It's alive and well in many Christians today. It is this idea that I need to experience spiritual power. And I need to do this beyond sound Christian faith. Make no mistake that God wants you to experience spiritual power, but he wants you to experience spiritual power through the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. But there's a lot of people out there that fall for these lies of the age, that there's spiritual power to be had beyond Jesus. When I was young, I was uh, raised in a gospel preaching church, and I remember that there was a woman in our community that came to Jesus, and she came out of a I guess you would say an agnostic life. And then she found Christ. And, I, and I'll never forget, she became very Christian, like radically Christian, telling everybody, witnessing all the time, loving Jesus, church every time that she could be there, right? And then she visited a shop with crystals and New Age meditation books and all this kind of stuff. And it was an amazing transformation how she so quickly fell for it, hook, line, and sinker, and denied the Christian faith. And you know what was amazing was to watch her 
um, physicality change. She went from being this bright, cheery woman, she started wearing this really dark eyeliner, dark makeup, dark, she dyed her hair dark. I remember this weird transformation that happened, and it was just a, a kind of like a visible representation of what happened in her spirit, that though she had tasted the light, she drifted back into darkness. And there is a temptation in many Christians today, especially with the young Christians, to believe, like, I, I, I thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, but I really need to have the spiritual experience. And so we get pulled into different directions that could take us away from the truth that is in Christ Jesus. New Age mysticism, a little bit alive and well, a little bit more alive and well back when I was young. But, you know, uh, certain uh, transcendental experiences, massages, um, hypnosis, uh, things that lead us away. Meditation practices from Far East religions that really have no basis in truth but just in the ethereal and the feeling. And you have to understand something. Scripture says that Satan loves to disguise himself as an angel of light. He doesn't come out with the horns and the tail and the pitchfork. He doesn't come out and say, hey, it's me. I'm here to rob your soul. He disguises himself because he is subtle, he is crafty, and he tries to imitate God. So in 2006, there was a book that came out. It swept the nation. It was called The Secret, written by Rhonda Burns, and it became a movie, I think. And a lot of people fell for this. It was based on the law of attraction, that your mind has the power to create your own reality. Think it, it will come to pass. That was the secret. There, I just saved you $17.95. <laughs> and this idea that if you believe certain things and you say it enough and you believe it enough, it will come out. And it even had like quotes from Jesus because all lies have a hint of truth. And people bought this. And I have, to, I have to tell you something, it was not new. Her book was based on a 1910 book called The Secrets of Getting Rich. And I'll tell you something, there's always a secret that's gonna tell you to get the life you want. There's always somebody writing a book about getting the life you want. There's, a, there's tons of opportunities to find these, um, these messages. But the 1910 book, The Secret of Getting Rich, was not new either, that was based on new thought. New Thought came out, from, uh, came out of New England, of course, <laughs> in Boston, Massachusetts. Phineas Quimby, in the 1800s, started to dabble in the transcendental and the meditation practices, and he created this philosophy of New Thought, which is you can speak things into existence, you can think things into existence, you have the power. It all speaks to that sinful inner man that wants his own way. That's all that it really is. It's the original lie of Satan to... Adam and Eve in the garden. If you do life my way, you will be as gods. And what you have to understand is new thought was not new either. That was actually rooted in uh, Gnostic theology, which actually was what Paul was arguing about in Colossians against this Gnosticism. The word Gnostic comes from the Greek for knowledge. So there's uh, this idea of secret knowledge out there. And what you have to understand about that is that Gnosticism wasn't new either. That was rooted in Platonic dualism. Uh, Plato believed that the material world was evil and to be rejected and shunned. And the mental and the spiritual was the real thing. And so you have to ascend into the higher spectrums of mental, um, uh, mental reality and, and just kind of leave this world behind. And what I'm trying to tell you is there's always somebody coming 
to tell you that what God's word says is not true and there's some secret out there that you've got to go get and for the low price of whatever they're offering it for, you can shape your own reality. Nothing new. If, in fact, if you want to get rich quick, all you have to do, very simple formula, just write a book about how to get rich quick. There's the secret. There you go. I want you to write this down in your notes, okay? If it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. Can I tell you how much that phrase has helped me in my life? You say, what do you mean by if it's new, it's not true? Because God never changes, and he is the source of all truth. When Jesus walked the earth, he didn't say, I'm true. It's a very important distinction. He didn't say, I'm true. He said, I am the truth. And it's not that we measure. Listen, this is so powerful. Listen, we don't measure the truthfulness of Jesus by how following him works out for us in experience. We measure all other ideas that set themselves up as true to the truth that is Jesus. And Jesus is the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the God from everlasting to everlasting who never has a shadow of turning with change. He is forever the truth. And you need to understand that if someone comes around with new ideas, you got to test it against the truth. And if it doesn't match up, it's not true. It might be new, but it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. So, mysticism. Let's talk about legalism because that's the second one. Legalism is I need to earn spiritual power. Now, this one is actually more common in the Christian church than mysticism. Because we are Americans. And if there is something that Americans are taught from birth, it is earn it. You know? Anybody, anybody have kids? Anybody ever been a kid? <laughs> what did mom say? Finish your dinner and you will get ice cream or dessert. And then we go to school and get the A and you can move on and get this star on the wall. It begins with stars. Little gold paper stars, and we're like, <laughs> it's a paper star for heaven's sakes. And then you get to junior high, and you do good. You get to senior high, you get the good grades, you get the highest, the good college. You get to the good college, you get to the good profession, you get to the good profession, you get the good life. Earn it. And we bring this into the church, and we say, okay, earn it. Earn it. Remember that line at the end of saving Private Ryan, and he's dying, the guy who went to save Private Ryan, and he's dying next to the Jeep, and, he, and Private Ryan comes up, and he's like, what do you want me to do? And, and the guy says, earn this. And some people bring that into the Christian message. Oh, Jesus died for you, but make sure you live up to it. Earn it. You can't earn grace. It's grace, friend. 
It is grace, and then it is grace after grace, and then grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. And all that you experience in God is the act of his grace upon your life. You begin with Jesus. You end with Jesus. The middle is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Watch out for legalism because legalism will lead to one of two extremes. Number one, the first extreme is this feeling of entitlement that will lead to disillusionment. Oh, I did really good this week, so God should be blessing me any moment now. I prayed more. I read my Bible. I got up early. I did devotions. I didn't scream at the Dunkin' Donuts lady. Surely, God is up in heaven right now bragging to Gabriel about how good I've been. And this is why people will get disillusioned because they will make a deal with God that he never signed up for. And, they say, and then they'll say something like this. Well, I tried Christianity. It didn't work. What were you expecting? Have you heard about the early followers of Jesus? Because they were sought into, crucified, persecuted, hated, vilified, blamed for all the wrongs of society. This is nothing new, friend. Nero hung them up on stakes and burned them alive. And they died with joy in their hearts because they knew that though you take this life, you cannot touch the life to come. That one sealed with God in Christ Jesus. What did you expect, though? A happier life, a better marriage, smarter kids? God does not promise those things. If you obey God, things will go well. Absolutely. But don't set God up to fail when he never signed off on some unwritten agreement in your mind as to what you should get for being a good Christian. You'll fail. There, if not entitlement, anxiety. Because there's some people, A-types, who can do the legalistic thing. They can do the thing that pray harder, witness more, be better. There's some A-types like that, military-minded people. But then there's some people, and I'm talking to the people whose New Year resolution ends on January 3rd. You know who you are. Like, you came to church last minute, okay? You still, your face is still puffy because you just woke up, okay? Anyway, nothing against you people, but listen, if, if you set yourself up to be legalistic and you fail, anxiety sets in. Oh, I haven't prayed enough. Oh, I haven't been good enough. Oh, I'm not a good person. I know I'm letting God down. And you walk around with this feeling of anxiety and you have to understand that the scripture says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. Anxiety is never from Jesus. Please, please hear me. Anxiety, worry, and fear, if you've got them, I want you to know they don't come from your Father who loves you. You need to stand strong in the Lord and tell that devil, tell that fear, get out of my life. I know who I am in Christ. He holds my future in his hand. And worrying can't add or take away from my life one hour. That's what Jesus said. So don't waste time worrying. But anxiety will become, is the fruit of a legalistic lifestyle that believes if I achieve, I will receive. And it is going to draw you away from the life that God has offered you in Christ. These are the two extremes. Which one are you on? Mysticism, pagan spirituality, legalism, more religiosity. And these were the two forces attacking the baby Christians in the first century city of Colossae, still attacking Christians today. And to that attack, Paul goes on a long diatribe. Positive word for diatribe. I don't know what it would be. A long exposition. A long exposition of what they've got in Jesus. So I want to give you these five Fs. One. Jesus is my 
foundation. Look at this fantastic passage. He says, uh, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How, let me just, as this passage stays up on the screen for a moment, how did you receive Jesus? By grace. And what Paul says is something very profound. If you started through grace, you continue through grace. And what you say to yourself is, I didn't earn my salvation. I can't keep earning what I never earned. If salvation is a gift that you cannot earn, let me ask you a question, anxious Christians. How can you unearn it? It's a gift. And, and, and it's, it's a gift meant to set you free. And, and it's like, okay, so does it mean that I do nothing? No. It means that you, you establish in your heart who I am is by God's grace. No, I can't add to it. I can't take away from it. Nobody can touch it. No man can pluck me from the hand of Almighty God. Jesus said, I grant them eternal life and no man shall take them from me. Paul said, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You say, I've had a horrible week, Pastor. What do you say? I'm saying the best thing that you can possibly hear after a horrible week. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. You cannot exhaust the limitless measure of God's amazing grace. You can reject it, but you can't exhaust it. And so Jesus, Paul says, as you receive through grace, you've got to stay in grace, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. And then look at it. It should produce one response. Abounding in thanksgiving. Are you thankful? Are you thankful for your life in Jesus? Because if that's not happening, then we have a problem. See, legalists can't be thankful. They can only be entitled or anxious. Mystics can't be thankful. They can only be kind of disappointed constantly. <laughs> Christians are thankful people, and there's nothing more attractive to non-believers than thankful believers. Nothing more attractive to a non-believing spouse than a thankful spouse. Instead of looking at your life, oh, it's miserable, it's miserable. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you saved? Are you going to heaven? Is your sin forgiven? Is Jesus alive? Is the, is the grave still empty? Be thankful. Be thankful that Jesus is not done with you yet. Abounding in thanksgiving. The word thanksgiving in verse 8 there, abounding in thanksgiving, that's the word eucharisto in Greek. Now, the Catholics come to church and they celebrate the Eucharist every time they come. Uh, that is very important because what they're saying is every time you come and take of the Mass, you are to be thankful. We Protestants miss this a little bit because we like to think that we are earning grace. We come to God by grace and we say, thank you, Eucharisto. Now the word Eucharisto is an important word. It's a two-part Greek word, you and charis. You, charis. Charis is the Greek word for grace or gift. Here's what I thought about. Thanksgiving is what happens when you meet grace. That was better preaching than you're responding, but I'll go with it. Amen. <laughs> John 1.16 says, from his fullness, we have all received in grace upon grace. Number two, if you're taking notes, Jesus is my fullness. He is my fullness. 
Verse 9, he says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled. Look at the past tense here, friends. You have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So the mystics of Paul's day were trying to tell people that there's a spiritual fullness out there beyond Jesus, and you need to do these spiritual practices to get there. And Paul's saying, no, 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 back the truck up for a moment. You already have been filled with him who is the fullness of God bodily. A lot of Christians get dis, dis, um, distracted. They get off course from the faith, not because they, um, they don't want him anymore. It's because they don't understand what they have in him anymore. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. From his fullness. God is the fullness. Jesus is the fullness of God. You cannot get fuller than Jesus. Life um, the world, people, they want to be full. People talking about, I feel empty. I feel empty. I feel hollow. I feel, I feel so unfulfilled. And you can get that good life, and you can work that job for 30 years, and at the end of, the, the end of your life, you look at it, you say, what did, I, what did I do? What did I produce? You know, you get to that point where you just think, what is this all about? Some of you don't get that. Some of you are not there yet. You will get there. You need to talk to some successful people who have been there. Some people who are old, who worked the job and did all the things that they thought was right and raised the kids and raised them right and got them into college and paid for their college, and now they feel like, well, what now? Because life is never going to be full until you have the fullness of the one who made life. Uh, Elon Musk. I was reading Elon Musk in the Rolling Stone magazine interview from a couple of months ago. Elon Musk is one of the only human beings ever who has started four, not one, not two, not three, four billion-dollar companies. That's called success. In the article, he tells the people, he's alone. He's empty. He's got nothing. Four, four billion dollar companies. And everybody's getting a little bit anxious because Elon is kind of tweeting crazy right now. <laughs> What's he going to do with his business? And so his, his tech stock keeps going up and down with his tweets. But nonetheless, the point is that you can have the whole world and still lose your soul. He is a message, he is a sermon to the world and to the society at large that there's more to be had in this life than things and praise and fame and likes and applause from the people. And the only thing that can truly fill your life is the one who made your life. Jesus is the fullness. So some Christians don't experience the fullness of God. They still, they walk with Jesus, but they don't experience the fullness. And the Bible gives us some important terms about the fullness that we are to have in Christ. I want to give you three ways we experience the fullness of Christ. Letter A under your nose is this. I experience the fullness of God in Christ when I participate in his family, the church. When I participate in his family, the church. Now, I had never seen this before this week, and when I saw it, I was so excited to share it with you. I hope you're excited to hear it, because look at this passage in Ephesians chapter 1, 22. Uh, he says, and he, God, put all things under his, Jesus' feet, and gave Jesus as head over all things to who? To? To the church. That's you. And then it says this, which is his body? The church is the body of Jesus, the body of Christ, right? Comma, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Do you see what Paul's saying there? 
He's saying that the church is the fullness of God in Christ Jesus available to every person on the planet. If you want to experience the fullness of God, get sunken into the church that he left to the world. When I come to church, I don't know about you, but when I come, I feel full. Beyond this, when I go to my small group, I feel full. I was telling the small group leaders the other day that I was going to my small group because I don't just ask you to be a part of one. I'm part of one. And I was going to my small group the other day, and it was morning, and I was feeling miserable, and I was having one of those miserable mornings. The rain didn't help. And I had this thought, you know, anybody ever had the voice, the morning voice? Just comes in, you're no good, you're a loser, people don't like you. You, you know, think about all the bad that you've done. I just had that voice. Voice was talking to me. Couldn't get him to shut up. I tried rebuking him. I didn't really try. I was tired. <laughs> uh, you know, and I tried the radio. That didn't work. And uh, I walk into my small group, and immediately as I'm gathered with my Christian brothers and sisters, immediately the voice shut his mouth. I'm telling you something. The reason why some people are struggling with mental illness, even in the church, is because they refuse to jump headlong into the church. Get in. Don't just spectate. This is not Gillette Stadium. You are not watching the Tom Brady of preaching, although I'm pretty good. <laughs> this is not Gillette Stadium. This is a family. This is the body of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what he left to the world. It's been going for 2,000 years. It's not going to stop until he comes back for his church. This is what you've got in heaven to look forward to. If you don't like the church on earth, heaven is going to be miserable for you. Why are all these Christians all over the place? And some people stay out of the church because there's too, too much hypocrisy in the church. Oh, there's hypocrites, 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 hypocrites in the church. That's just an excuse so that you can go and do what you want. We see through that veneer. Don't tell me about hypocrites. There's hypocrites everywhere. Hypocrites everywhere. I was reading an article about climate change. The uh, University of Michigan did a study about climate change and they interviewed climate change deniers, climate change skeptics, climate change proponents, and they found out that the people who were the biggest skeptics were also the people most often participating in curbing climate change. And the people who love to call for federal legislation about climate change were the people doing the least about climate change. See, there's always one part of the political spectrum that wants to tell everybody what to do, but not do it themselves. I'm talking to you millennials, listen to me. I'm gonna save you, help you grow up real fast in church. Come on, somebody. But you have to understand, that's just hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. Everybody else should be climate change, climate change, climate change. Just throw my garbage everywhere. Hypocrites. And let me just say something. If your, uh, if a hypocrite is standing between you and God, who's closer to God? Oh, if you can't say amen, say ouch. Come on, somebody. All right, let her be. I got to move on. When I eat of his word, I get fulfilled. When I eat of his word, living bread. Isaiah says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen to me. And eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. So you get fed through the word of God. And I, I hope and I pray that you're in the word of God outside of this moment. 
because it's imperative that you feed your soul through the Word of God. Um, letter C, when I participate in his mission, I'm fulfilled. I'm fulfilled when I participate in the mission of Jesus. So Jesus in John 4.34, this is right after he spent an afternoon ministering to the good, the, not the good, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well who had been five times married, five times divorced, and was shacked up with a new guy. And he ministers to her, and he brings her to himself. And he does this while he's skipping lunch. And the disciples who went to get lunch come back to Jesus, and they've got lunch, and they're like, here, we've got a ham sandwich for you. Uh, not, not ham, they were Jews. Um, <laughs> it's a lamb sandwich, and... Uh, <laughs> Stay with me. And they say, uh, surely you're hungry. You skipped lunch. And he says, no, I'm not hungry. And they go, what the heck? We got the sandwich for him. Who got him food? He says, you guys don't get it. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. See, if Jesus gets fulfilled by helping other people come to himself, his people get fulfilled by helping people come to him. I leave on Sunday. I leave exhausted, but I leave fulfilled. And, I, and there's a lot of people here, they work so hard, and I tell you this all the time, they work so hard to help this thing happen, no, no pay, no money, and they leave, and they're happy. They're joyful. They feel fulfilled. You'll never feel the fullness of God if you try to do Christianity alone, never active, never participating. You've got to jump in. You've got to, that's why we have next steps, that's why we have growth track on Sundays after this service. That's why it's there. Because we know this is where fullness happens. And we want to help you get full. Number three, Jesus is my formation. So i got to really go fast now. Verse 11, he says, In him, again in Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision, underline those next three words, made without hands. Made without hands. Very important phrase there. By putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. A circumcision made without hands has happened in you through Jesus Christ. Let me unpack this for a moment. The physical act of circumcision is when... Skin gets cut off. I don't want to go any further than that. <laughs> Paul says in Christ, it's not a physical circumcision. It's a spiritual circumcision. Um, Moses talked about it in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Moses. Over a thousand years before Paul talked about it. Moses talked about it. The Bible always ties itself together. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, Moses says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. A circumcision made without hands, he's talking about. Uh, and the heart of your offering, so that offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. Now, what are you talking about, Pastor? What I'm talking about is this, is that in Christ Jesus, you are formed through God cutting away the flesh. The flesh is that spiritual nasty in you. That jealousy, that envy, that pride. That lust, that materialism, that consumerism. That never being thankful. That bitterness, that unforgiveness. And what you have to understand, Christian, is that when you come to Christ, you enter into the divine surgical operating room. And God goes to work cutting your heart. This is why sometimes it hurts, and he gives us people who hurt us, and he gives us situations that allow us for pain, and that we don't understand, why is God, why did God uh, stick me in this 
office with this guy who I always have to forgive because God is cutting away your bitterness, your resentment. Why did God give me this sister who's always asking for money? Because God is cutting away your stinginess. Why did God give me these kids who literally drive me up a wall every day? <laughs> Five kids over there. All right. Uh, because God is cutting away your impatience, and it hurts. It's circumcision of the heart. And if you're there, be happy. Because God is not done with you. He's still working on you. Christ is your formation. Number four. Jesus is my forgiveness. Uh, so he says this in verse um, 13. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses. By, and I love the phrase, canceling the record of debt. That's a, the, the word here is a word for an IOU in the ancient world. We all have an IOU with God. We all had one before Jesus. And what God did in Christ is he canceled the IOU and it stood against you with his legal demands. He set it aside how? Nailing it to the cross. At the cross, God took all the sins that you've ever committed and ever will commit and he nailed them to the cross. The payment necessary to make up for them. He nailed them to the cross. That's why the cross was so horrible. Because Christ was reconciling the world to God. He was paying for the sins of the whole world. First Timothy talks about that. He didn't pay just for our sins. He paid for the sins of the whole world. Pastor, are you a universalist? You believe everybody's going to heaven? No. What I'm telling you is that the people going to heaven are the people who, who believe that Jesus died for their sins and paid for their debts. And the people going to hell are the people who refuse to believe that Jesus paid for them. No one goes to hell for their sins. They go to hell for unbelief. And what God asks you to do is, is believe, that's it, believe and receive Jesus, who is the eternal payment for all the wrongs you ever did. And the sin guilt will come off your shoulders, and you will stand tall and strong in him. He is your forgiveness. Notice in verse 15, it goes on, he says, he disarmed the rulers, he disarmed the authorities, and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. What's that saying? It's saying that that guilt uh, that Satan knows is a great... Um, platform on which he stands and accuses you all day look at you you look at you you shame on you how dare you come to church how dare you say amen to that pastor how dare you how dare you he's standing on that platform of guilt provided by your sin and if you don't root yourself in Christ Jesus you'll give him a loud talking point and you need to stand up in Christ know who you are and you need to tell that devil, in the name of Jesus Christ, shut your mouth. Amen. When the devil comes and attacks you, you should say it all the time, as often as you can remember it. The blood of Jesus Christ stands against you. In the heavenly court, there's going to be you standing before the Father, the eternal judge. On one side, Satan, with a long list of all your evil deeds. And on the other side, your defense attorney, his name is Jesus Christ. And Satan is going to unpack all your nasty, all your nasty, even the nasty that you didn't even know about. He's going to unpack it, and he's going to say, see, he doesn't deserve it. And I want you to know something. Jesus is going to stand up and say, I know he doesn't deserve it, but I paid for it, and it's grace. Let him go. And the eternal judge is going to say, paid in full. Enter into the joy of heaven. That's the, that's the grace of God. Your, your enemy is defeated in Christ. Five, and finally, Jesus 
is my freedom. So he gets on to this rant now. <laughs> he says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in regard to questions of food and drink, in regards to festivals and new moons and Sabbaths. So what Paul is saying is, listen, Jesus is the answer to the legalists because the legalists in Colossae wanted to come and say, you need to go back to the Old Testament and live according to the rules, the festivals, the Sabbaths, all those other things and the laws. There's a lot of laws in the Old Testament. You need to go back and do that. And there's cultural laws. And so they were trying to put this on the Gentile Christians. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Those things, look at what he says in the next verse, verse 17. Those things were a shadow of the things to come, but the substance of Christ. Do you understand? But the substance belongs to Christ. But do you understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of all those pictures of the Old Testament? He, he is the true Sabbath. What is a Sabbath? Rest from work. Jesus is rest from all your religious work. Do you understand? What, what, what were all those sacrifices about? Sacrifices for what? Sin. Jesus is the final sacrifice for sin. God was preaching through all those symbols and all those shadows and all those terms in the Old Testament to tell his people, this is what it's going to look like when I pay finally for your sins. And the substance belongs to Christ. He is the final Festival. He is the final everything in Christ Jesus. He's the substance of the shadows. So don't let anybody tie you up. Now, every once in a while in the church, somebody comes along with a book about the Old Testament and how we need to go back to celebrating the festivals. And it's a bunch of nonsense. I don't mind if you celebrate the festivals. I think one just started, actually. But, I mean, honestly, you don't need to. I had a, a guy in church once. He went and got his blood tested to see if he had any Jew in him. His blood tested to see if he was Jewish. I'm like... You've got Jesus. His blood is enough. Amen. <laughs> All right. What I'm trying to say is that there's a thousand different ways in which we get hooked into these other things that draw us away from Jesus. And again, Paul's saying, don't let that happen. Then verse 20, he says this. Why is if you are still alive, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, touch, taste, according to human precepts? These are the appearance of wisdom, promoting self-made religion and a citizen self-denial. Uh, severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. These legalistic works cannot change you. That's what he's saying. These legalistic works, you doing your little self-denial thing and making sure that you are pleasing God so that he is pleased and will bless you, it, it, looks, in, it looks religious. It looks impressive, but it cannot change your heart. Only God can change your heart. Say, so should I not fast, pastor? Should I not pray? Absolutely you should. As you enjoy the salvation that you have in Christ Jesus and deepen your faith in him, absolutely you should. What I'm talking, talking about is, though, it does not produce the, the internal change in you through your work. That is a work of his grace. So then Jesus is the answer to the mystics. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. These pagan philosophies, all this stuff, this ancient nonsense that keeps coming back into the church. Christian, don't you fall for it. Yeah. You are filled in Christ. Jesus is all you need. He is your foundation. He is your fullness. He is your formation. He is your forgiveness. He is your freedom.